Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years' experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Today I'll be interviewing a really good friend of mine, Steve Addison. He comes from Australia, done a lot of study on the rise and fall of movements, and in fact, that's the name of the new book that he's just put out. Steve and I have been friends for a couple of decades. We've had a long interest in planting churches, have shared together both in Australia and in the United States. So join me as we welcome Steve. Ralph, I think we've known each other for maybe 15 years, 20 years. I I think before I'd written any books, um, I'd heard about you through a a mutual contact and uh, came across with some Australians and New Zealanders uh, one New Zealander, just to see what God was doing there through you and the movement, especially in, in terms of how you were raising up uh, and training and releasing church planters. Yeah, and, and we just kind of became friends, and I began to hear from everybody in Australia that you were the go-to guy when it came to understanding movements and, and just the, the whole fact of church planting and how that, that works. And uh, so I've been intrigued. I've been reading your stuff and uh, very interested in, in what Steve thinks about pretty much everything. And, um, you know, over the years, just the, the, you know, in America, we've been into megachurch for so long. And uh, to know that there are some people out there in different parts of the world that believe in the things we were trying to do, you've been a super encouragement to me. And, and I just want to say thank you for that. As, oh, as we talk here today... The, the book, the, the Rise and Fall of Movements, that that seems to be an apex in your life. Can you tell us just a little bit about how you got into the book and, and why you wrote it? Hmm. Well, I I was a young church planter. Um, I, I wish I'd had some of your, one of your early books at that stage, but I, I just had a, a couple of Peter Wagner tapes and a couple of Rick Warren tapes, and that was my training to plant a church. <laughs> and uh, it went well. We had a good church behind us. and um, But in that second year, we, we walked into a church fight. And um, God used that to really sort of shake me to the core and to sort of make clear, Steve, it's, it's not just about one church plant, but on his heart were multiplying churches across the nation. And that was... Uh, Goodness, that was 30 years ago, uh, Ralph. And uh, so God's had my attention about movements ever since. And the book itself was sort of a companion to the first book I wrote, which was about the characteristics of dynamic movements. Yes. Rise and Fall traces, yeah, the the movement life cycle, how they change over time. And so it's sort of been brewing away for about 30 years. That's good. You know, what's interesting to me, I'm kind of in the sunset years, you know, I'm, I'm in my 70s now. And 
no longer actually actively pastoring a church. I'm, I'm training guys and doing some of that. But uh, I actually, today I'm back in Hawaii. I moved to California. And yesterday I, I ran into a guy who just started three churches in the Philippines from Hawaii. And uh, I was the day before with some people that that man had impacted in Africa. Uh, this is a just ordinary guy, a layman. And he's um, runs a little business and he was a serial church planter here as a freelance pastor. And I, I see these things happening and I, and I realize as, as I'm kind of fading from the scene, uh, the, the movement is, is perhaps moving toward its zenith. Yeah. Have, have you seen things like that in your studies? I, I mean, where there's a key leader who maybe gets things started, but then the thing takes on a life of its own and, you know, kind of enlighten us to that stuff. Well, and, and one of the key roles of a founder, you know, initially it's their personality, their call, their drive. They, they embody the movement. Um, and that, that I imagine is a scary thing. But the great founders, especially throughout the phase that I call growth, where it's really taking off, rather than try and hold everything to themselves and control the thing, they're actually growing leaders, they're growing people, they're clarifying this is who we are, this is how, how God has shaped us. And so by the end of that growth phase, if the movement's going to take off, the founder's no longer in charge. You know, they, they're celebrated, they're, you know, whether they're alive or not, you know, um, their, their example and, and story is valued. But the great founders learn um, to set everybody free. Uh, yeah. around that core strategy and that core heart for making disciples and, and planting churches. So it's, it's good you've moved to the mainland and you're not pastoring a church. You're still playing a role, but you're not, you're not controlling anymore. Not that you ever did, but you're not in charge. You know, one of the things that blessed us along the way was we, we weren't sure it was a blessing when it first happened. We were part of a denomination. And if we would plant a church, then they would assume authority over that church. And, um, uh, you know, we were hippies in those days. We kind of resented all that. But we began to realize that there was a strength that we couldn't really control anything. And all we could do was to inspire and, and help people have, uh, you know, imagine what could possibly happen. Then they took over from there and, you know, most of the churches we started weren't denominational, but hmm. those that were, it kind of just set a pattern. So you, you see that kind of thing. I mean, not necessarily like the form it took for us, but that the leaders who lead from inspiration and example a little bit more than those who lead from control. Yes. I mean, in the early stages, it's important for the key founder in a sense, to be in control, because we don't know what this is. It's, it's, it's like a baby's born. We're not just going to throw it out and, and let it fend for itself. So there's, there is a high level of um, 
I don't know if control's the right thing, but you're in charge and you're still trying to work out what is this that God is doing? You're exploring different methodologies. You're wrestling with, you know, questions of the identity of, of the movement. But definitely there's got to come a time, and I, I'm thinking of a movement catalyst um, I'm aware of at the moment. And, you know, you turn up to an event, and over two days he'll, he'll get up maybe once. The rest of the time he's up the back cheering his guys that he's developing. Um, and that's what the great founders do. They do model it. They do protect the call and the movement in the early stages, but it's never going to take off uh, if it if it revolves around them. When when they stay in control, we call that the founder trap. And, yes. Uh, but the the Lord has a, a great instrument um, to release that control. Um, it's called death, and so most founders eventually die. And sometimes yes. the movement takes off far beyond them in that generation after their death. So they've still done a good job, but the Lord's had to sort of release their grasp of the thing through the natural process of death. I'm glad that that hasn't been the case for you, Ralph. (laughs) Well, so far, you know, I I was at an event a few years ago and I was in a panel and one of the guys got up and said, uh, I, I actually think he he got mad at something I said. I w- I was endorsing uh, a, a, a woman pastor, and he didn't believe in women in ministry. And um, I, I actually wasn't even talking about that. I was just talking about this lady did these great things, and you know I'd never even thought about whether she was a lady or what. But he 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 kind of turned on me. And he goes, you know, you're not this laid back person that this persona that you put forward and. I know you couldn't have done what you do without having a high degree of control over all these people. And so I shot back and I said, you know what, in a way you're right, but you're terribly wrong. I'm the most high control guy you ever met because I make disciples and I teach them how to think. But then after that, I don't tell them what thoughts to think about. I just trust them. And we kind of let them go from there. And so in my situation, the only example or the only contact I've ever really been able to have, we weren't even able to run, like annual meetings for that would involve everybody a few people would come to things we did but it's mostly just by writing what i wrote today i do a little blog at some point you have to believe in the holy spirit yes uh inside of people's hearts and but you give them the basic identity that comes out of scripture and and then let them move on from there yes and a great passage for that is a uh acts 20 paul farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. Yes. So how can he be so confident in, you know, handing over authority and responsibility? Well, he'd already done that, but just affirming, you'll never see my face again. And if you read his speech carefully, you know, he says, well, I've given you the word of the gospel, you know, so there's that living word. Um, I'm entrusting you to the Holy Spirit. So remember my example. <laughs> and <laughs> but and they're, they're the three things. And, and in one sense, you do have incredible control if God's word, the Holy Spirit, and the flawed but faithful example of key leaders. And even in that, um, 
it's because the leader serves the cause. It's not just somehow we've got a saint here. You know, we all have to emulate this person. We'll have yeah. the Morites or something in the future. Yeah. <laughs> but it's more, God has raised this person and other key founders around them around a cause that represents his mission in the world today. And, and, and ultimately, you know, we have Christ. And, yeah. and Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, and so there's a cause that you want people to grasp beyond loyalty to a leader or an organization. It's, it's God's mission of the gospel getting out to the ends of the earth. And wherever the gospel goes, the fruit is disciples and reproducing churches. One, one of the things that's impressed me uh, the most is in Acts that kind of I see it as an Acts chapter eight, Acts chapter eleven axis. I, I look at the Jerusalem church as having kind of failed in many ways. I, I think uh, another topic we, we could discuss sometime would be I, I think every church is called to multiply at least one church over its life cycle. But the Jerusalem church wasn't about to do that in Acts eight. It says all except the apostles fled. But everywhere they went, they actually went and did the Great Commission. And, of course, you get uh, Acts 11, where they start the church in Antioch. And, and then of course, Acts uh, 13, where Antioch sends people out. And so I, I've always kind of looked at the apostles, the, the 11, as being courageously disobedient to the Great Commission. But uh, it, it, it really um, it, it almost shattered me in, in one way when I first really discovered in Acts 14 where Paul was stoned and left for dead and, and then the disciples gather around and it doesn't say they prayed but they must have and they sneak back into the city and then they go back to the to the villages where they had been for no more than a couple of months each and appointed elders from among their disciples and it says and they they entrusted them to the Holy they turned them over to the Holy Spirit in whom they had put their trust and I think how little contact they had. They didn't have email. They didn't have cell phones. They, they didn't have much, but they did have the word that they had imparted and, and the spirit. How do you see that playing out in movements around the world where, um, I mean, we're, we're looking where the gospel is going the most quickly is in the places where they have the fewest resources. Um, how, how does that scripture look in light of what you see as you study? Hmm. Well, I think there's um, a definite dynamic at work that uh, in terms of, um, you know, Jesus calling us into that same relationship with the Father that he has or and, and with the Holy Spirit. So he has a very robust understanding of the work of the Spirit in our midst, reminding us and unpacking his living word. And so that's what we need to disciple people into. And there's still an important role. Often you see that apostolic function of a Peter or Paul. You're moving amongst the churches and the expanding network. And sometimes you are bringing correction and teaching and, and, and the like. But you're not lording it over people. And so Peter had uh, a few days with Cornelius 
before he left. And there's a house yeah. now meeting in Cornelius's home. Sorry, there's a church now meeting in his home. And now Peter most likely is going to circle back with a letter or someone visiting and, and so on. But it's, it's not, it's not day-to-day supervision. It's entrusting um, leaders that God's raising up with authority and responsibility. And you can't have a movement without that dynamic. That's, that's what Roland Allen reminded us of a hundred years ago. And we're still trying to catch up to him. That's the end of the first half of this interview. Thanks for tuning in. Catch the rest next time. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.